0: Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 17, and we'll be starting in verse 24. And as we do that, those of us who have done some fishing in our lives, we're often accused of having fish stories. You know, like when we say, well, you know, I had this one man, he was this big, and I almost got him on the boat, man, but I'm telling you. And then by the time you get telling the story the 10th time, it went from like this big to that big, you know, and that's why we talk about fish stories, right? Right? Well, this, this morning we're going to actually look at a real fish story. And it is a whopper of a story, but it's 100% accurate. So we're going to be taking a look at that this morning in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Peter the fisherman has this wonderful story that I'm sure he told himself, even though in this instance, Matthew's telling it to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and for a reason. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Hear the word of God to you this morning. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons, or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and for yours. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inerrant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Father, we come to you this morning and many of us have been filled with a glut of information from social media, from internet news sources, from the television, um, billboards just surrounded, radio, um, from in every direction, from stories from a worldly perspective, Lord. We've come this morning to hear the truth, your true perspective. We've come to have our minds transformed, our lives transformed by the renewing of our minds as you speak to us and we willingly listen and submit ourselves by faith. So Lord, we acknowledge that apart from your grace, we will not understand. Apart from you giving us Understanding, it'll just bounce off, Lord, in one ear, out the other. So we pray this morning that you would help us to push out of our minds all of our worldly cares. We pray that you would protect us from the evil one. And Lord, we pray for this short time that we have together in your word, you will give us uh, attentive spirits, Lord. For we do pray, as Samuel did when he was little, Lord, speak to your servants, for we are listening. Anoint the proclamation of your word, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 In 1520, that was a little long time ago. A little bit before my time, believe it or not, Pete. Not Uh, Not much, not much, but a little bit. Martin Luther wrote a classic work for the Reformation times. It was called The Freedom of the Christian Man. And it was published at that time, and in it, Luther makes this profound statement. It's his thesis for his whole work, but really it says so much in one sentence. It says this, A Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. It goes on to say, A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. So, we might want to call a paradox, but boy, is it powerful. That's precisely what Jesus is teaching Peter and us in the passage before us in Matthew's gospel this morning. And I almost skipped over it in order to save some time in our efforts to preach through the whole gospel of Matthew. Um, Now, don't misunderstand me, I want to mention this uh, quickly to you. I wasn't trying to avoid it because there's a strange miracle involved in it because as those of you know i know me know i have no problem believing that the god who created everything we see out of nothing can do absolutely anything he wants to do except for go against his holy nature and will no problem with miracles whatsoever i believe them and the bible records them for us nor was i considered skipping it because i don't think it had anything to teach us God's people in general. Certainly, there's truth to be had in all of Scripture. I wholly, wholeheartedly believe what the Apostle Paul wrote in Second Timothy three sixteen, when he says, "All Scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work." Now, I believe all Scripture is useful. I was simply wondering, and I was wrestling in my mind and heart, is, you know, is, is this something that our little band of faithful followers, our church needs to hear at this particular juncture in our journey of faith together? That was what I was wrestling with, just so you understand. I wasn't trying to skip anything. It's important for you to see that. But as I wrestled a little bit with it, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to wonder if I should fast forward. See, I'm old. Fast forward over it. Um it began to really sink in and it began, God began to use it in my own life and to show me the importance of the lesson and why Matthew has it included here right where he puts it. Because here's an interesting little tidbit of information, some Bible trivia for you. He's the only one of all four Gospels to include this story. It's unique to Matthew. So there's a reason. And some people say, well, maybe because he was a, he's saved out of being a tax collector. He's interested in the temple tax. I don't know. I think it's a little more than that. Well, what we're going to see here is what this text actually teaches us is that line I just quoted from Martin Luther. He puts this text in a way, in, in, a, in a great um, frame of reference for us. So I'm going to read again what he says, and then I'm going to tell you what. Um, I believe the passage uh, teaches. A Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. And I'm going to put that in my own way. We're going to see the text tells us this. Of all people on earth, Christians are the most liberated. Simple point. Second thing, of all people on the earth, Christians are the most conscientious servants. Two truths that are held together and that seemingly are opposed but are not at all. They totally jive together. And that's what we're going to see in this text. And obviously, God wanted us to understand that and know that because he included this passage in his holy word for us. So let's take a look at the first thing. Of all the people on earth, Christians are the most liberated. Now, our text begins with Jesus and his disciples arriving in Capernaum. And that is the hometown of none other than Peter, in case you didn't know that. Remember when uh, Peter's mother-in-law got sick and Jesus healed her? That was in Capernaum. So this, as far as I understand, as I've looked at this gospel, this is the last time that Jesus will be in Capernaum before he goes to the cross to give his life up for you and for me. And once they arrive there, the temple tax collector approaches Peter, of all people, and asks if Jesus intends to pay The temple tax. Does he pay the temple tax? Now, we don't know the way that he said it. Was he accusatory? In other words, was he trying to trap Jesus? But the text doesn't really tell us, so he could have just been asking the honest question, hey, does your your, uh, master pay the temple tax? So we don't know. But we do know this. This particular tax that's being spoken of in this text was not the taxes that are collected by the Roman government. So in other words, we're not talking about taxes that are given to Caesar. You understand that? Um, Later on in chapter 22, Jesus will be preaching on that. Jesus will say, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And that's talking about government tax. But here, he's talking about what's being talked about here is the temple tax. Now, this stems from, very briefly, just so you understand what it is. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. It stems from the tax, the atonement tax that's mentioned in Exodus 30 when dealing with the tabernacle and the service of the tabernacle. And um, the, everyone who was 20 and over were required to give this drachma taxed, tax um, to the service of the tabernacle. Obviously, that the tabernacle was where The offerings were given. That's where the sacrifices were given. And once a year, um, everyone 20 and up were to give this particular tax for the service of the tabernacle. Now, of course, during this time, there was no tabernacle. We had the temple. But for some reason, one reason or another, they transferred this tax also to the temple. Even though it doesn't explicitly say in the Bible that they were to, to take this tax, the Jews still... Took it, And, and that's, we, we don't know if that was just something they did by tradition or if um, it was a God thing. But either way, it was the tradition and in keeping with good biblical um, grounding found in Exodus. So I just wanted to give you that background. So when Peter was confronted with whether or not his teacher pays a temple tax, he quickly replies. We don't see any struggle here, any debate. Peter just says, Yes. You can see in a sense maybe Peter was kind of def- being a little defensive, maybe defending his master. Like, of course, he pays a tax. Peter, of course, would remember Jesus' words we read earlier. We studied earlier in Matthew's Gospel. I have not come to destroy the law and prophets, but what? To fulfill them. But what's interesting here is when, when Peter enters the house where Jesus is, Matthew makes it a point to say Jesus was the first to speak. And Jesus is the one who asks Peter the question, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? And Pete says, for others. From others. Then Jesus says something interesting here. Then the sons are exempt. In the text, the word is free. The sons are free. Jesus said to him, What Jesus is saying here in this text is that since he is the unique, we just professed it in the Apostles' Creed, the only begotten Son of the living God, and since his disciples are his, are children of God through faith in him, he and his followers are exempt from the tax. That is to say, they're not obligated to pay the temple tax. After all, here's the powerful thing the temple is his father's house. He is a son in the house. He doesn't have to pay the tax. And those who are followers of him, who trust in him, they are his brothers in the father's house. And the kings of the earth, they don't collect taxes from their own children. You with it? But from others. Stop for a moment. Let's drink this in because this is what's so important to see in this text. He's basically saying this to Peter because you're connected to me by faith, you are a free son of the King of heaven. What a powerful and encouraging truth for Peter and for you and me. Listen, this is what you have to realize. Those of us who've been tracking Peter's life a little bit through the Gospel of Matthew, we've seen time and time again, Peter has some ups, but he has some real downs. He knows how to screw things up. Remember, he he messed up so bad at one point, in one particular instance, Jesus had to rebuke him and say to him, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) You know, we talk about our assurance of salvation. Well, sometimes, you know, when Jesus would say something like that to you, it might shake you a little bit. You with me? And why I think it's important is because I know I've been, by the grace of God and His mercy, by grace alone, I've been walking with Jesus since 1986. And I'll tell you, I still feel the weight of my sins. I still feel just horrible about my failures. You know, maybe it was a wicked thought that I know God sees, even though no one else sees it. I know I thought something in my heart that was awful, or I know there's a certain struggle. Or or I know there was some I had it within my power to do something to help somebody, and I just through indifference didn't help. And so sometimes I begin to feel, once again, like I was when I wasn't a Christian. Like I'm on the outside looking in. Like I'm not worthy to be at the table of the Lord. And I'm tempted to feel once again like an orphan. You can't tell me that as Peter is walking, through, walking with Jesus through this time, that he at times did not feel that way. So what we have to see is how powerful this is. It was striking to me when, I, when it actually hit me. What Jesus is saying is, hey Pete, you're with me. You don't have to worry about it. You're mine. Remember in Isaiah. I've called you by name. You are mine. And it's such an awesome reminder to each of us who know Jesus through faith, as weak, as failing, and as doubting as we sometimes are. We are children of the King of kings. And we are free. Now of course, Peter would come to know this even more deeply and with more certainty as we do now because we it's we're after jesus's death and resurrection once jesus rose from the dead peter knew this with greater depth right filled with the holy spirit of pentecost included in the family of god looking back at how jesus fulfilled that temple and the need for a temple and sacrifices so there are no more temple taxes J.I. Packer once put it this way, and I love this quote from him. To be right with God the judge is a great thing. In other words, to be justified. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater. Right? Right? I mean, it's nice when you got to go to court and you're all nervous and you dress your best and you go and you see this you know, judge up there and you know he holds your life in his hands and you're waiting for the, the verdict and you're on the edge of your seat because you know you could go to, to prison for life or worse and he goes, innocent. Oh, what a great feeling, right? We go, we walk out of the courtroom, we're free. It's a new lease in life. But how much greater is it when the personal God of the universe who made you and everything else accepts you fully as a child, places his own spirit in your heart so that when you go and fall on your knees wherever you are, you cry out, Abba, Father. To know the care of that God who took the stars and went, I'm going to call you, I don't know, some crazy name says he calls them by name. I, I, I would love to know. Maybe someday we'll know what those names are. But that God cares for you as a child. And as such, what we see here in this text is that we're truly free men and women in Christ. It's a real thing. Certainly here, as it applies to the temple, uh, obligation to a sacrificial system that Jesus was about to fulfill through His death on the cross held no sway over Jesus and His disciples. Why would He be paying a temple tax? He doesn't need any sacrifices for Him. He's perfect. And what He's saying is, and you're not going to need any, sacrifice, any uh, temple sacrifice either, Pete, because not too long time from now, Good Friday's coming, where I, once and for all, am going to take care of the sins of God's people. Indeed, one greater than the temple was here. So indeed, the first thing we see, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. Important to get that in our heads. But now Jesus teaches Peter a correlating truth that follows up this lesson. And it's my second and only other point this morning. Of all the people on the earth, Christians are the most conscientious servants of all. Verses 27, or verse 27. But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Listen, before we get into the cool details of this neat miracle, we need to see one thing here. We are free in Christ, but our freedom is to be expressed in service, not selfishness. i to say that again. We're free in Christ, but our freedom is to be expressed in service, not selfishness. I'm going to show you that from the text. Notice what Jesus says here so that we may not offend them. Now listen, Jesus, the unique, only begotten Son of the Father, is absolutely exempt. We're exempting Him from that tax, for instance, in this text. And yet, still He does something. What does He do? He pays it anyway. That's what you need to see. But here's the important thing Peter needed to see. It was important to understand why they were paying the tax right? Because Peter thought his answer was right when they said, did, you, did your master pay the tax? He just says, yes. Not even thinking about it. Yes. So Peter obviously takes him aside and wants, to, wants Peter to understand something. Hey, Peter, come here a minute. And what he wants, to under, wants him to understand is why he's about to pay the tax for him and, Pete, and Peter. And the reason why is not because they're obligated. That's important for Pete to see. But out of love. Not wanting others to stumble out of care for others so they won't be offended, so the name of God won't be dragged in the mud. Just pay it. And I'll tell you how we're going to take care of it, and we'll we'll get to that. Jesus did not want to give unnecessary offense. He willingly, freely laid down His rights for the sake of others. And here He's teaching Peter, His other disciples, and us now to do the same. Now think about it. This is the interesting thing and the good thing about preaching uh, the Bible a full um, gospel from beginning to end in its context is that this story we see is sandwiched between Jesus' prediction, the verses before, Jesus talks about, I will suffer and die and be given over to the hands of, of the, the chief priests and the elders, right? And I will rise again on the third day. It's sandwiched between that and then the story of where Jesus takes a child and says, unless you become like one of these, Right? And the greatest among you will be the servant of all. That's the context. So here's a wonderful practical application of that very principle. Jesus willingly is going to lay down his rights by submitting to a cruel death on the cross at the hands of sinful men for our sakes and our salvation. Well, we too in him have the rights of sons, and yet the way of greatness among us is the way of service and of humility and of deference, and of not clinging to our rights till death do us part, but giving them up from the heart, joyfully, willingly, because God has made us free in Christ. Our Christian freedom is real, it's genuine, but it's never to be used as a license or cover-up for selfishness and sin. Now, I always hesitate but I always give in to it. I always hesitate to use illustrations for movies because some movies I can't recommend because maybe they're foul or whatever. But the, you ever see the movie uh, Lethal Weapon? I think it's Lethal Weapon 2. I recommend you only watch that on TV because they take the cursing out and then it becomes a lot better. Not perfect, but a lot better. Well, in that movie, here's the illustration I want to tell you because it's so annoying. In that movie, the bad guy, there's always bad guys and good guys, the bad guy is from another country in the United States and he has... Diplomatic immunity. Technically, legal by law, he cannot uh, be held accountable for any of his actions. And the good guys know all the time that he's doing things, he's covering up evil and he's doing bad things. And whenever they get close to catching him and they find a little evidence, he always goes, diplomatic immunity. Just like that, by the way. And as the story goes on and on, the more and more you get annoyed at this guy. man. You just, you're like, man, I want that guy to get justice. Bad. Why do I bring that up? Well, I bring it up because of this. Even though he's technically correct, by the law, he's clearly exploiting his position for his own evil ends, and he's given his country a bad name, isn't he? Whatever country he's from, and by flaunting evil, in the name of the law, he's throwing mud on his country. He's, he's making himself, uh, throwing mud on himself, as it were, giving himself a bad name. Well, here's, here's why I bring that illustration up, as, as ridiculous as it is and extreme. There are Christians, aren't there, who just constantly shove their rights in everybody's face. Maybe we've done that in the past, too. I'm sure in some ways I have. But there are those, I don't have to do this. I don't have to. And constantly, I'm free. I'm free. But to the point where, sometimes, what happens? They're just using their freedom as an excuse to do whatever their sinful nature wants to do. Or to get their own way. Or to protect their own interests. Not the interests of who? Of Christ. And Jesus is saying very gently, and yet, very firmly, to Peter, we don't want to give offense, Pete. We are free, and you are free in me. But so that we don't give offense, and we don't have to. We're not obligated. We're going to do it willingly. For the sake of others, so that we set a good example, and so that they can't accuse. Oh, look! We knew Jesus was against the law. We knew that he came to to break the law. No one will be able to accuse them of that. You with me? And look at the text. This is where the fun part comes in. Not only does Jesus take care of the tax, but look at the awesome way he does it. This is kind of a really cool story. He says, but so that we won't offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line, take the first first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Now look, he provides for the tax miraculously. Think about the the order of events that had to occur for this to happen the way that it happened. First of all, a fish... Some fish had to see the shiny drachma coin and decide, hey, that looks like it might be something good to eat, and and put the thing in it and grab the thing in its mouth. That's number one. That's pretty cool in and of itself. But then, that particular fish would have had to, as soon as Pete throws in that hook, he had to be the fish, out of all the fish of the sea, to go for the hook. And then Pete had to be able to pull him in, because that isn't always easy, always, often as a fisherman. And then right there, open up. And, there, and not only that, listen, to this, the coin was the perfect amount. Not, not, too, not a little bit too little or a little bit too much, but perfect amount to pay for Jesus and Peter. It's amazing. Our God provides. When he calls us to give up our rights, he provides at the same time. And through this, by the way, Jesus is showing once again that he is who he says he is. Nobody else. You know, maybe Aquaman, but he ain't real. You know? On a side note, do you ever notice superheroes almost all the time have some power from God? You know, it's like, if you put them all together, it's God. You, You know what I'm saying? In terms of omniscient, omnipotent. But anyway, sorry, that's a side thing. But yes, this proved who he was. And here's the thing, this event must have been etched on Peter's mind. You would think it would be, right? Think about us, if we even have just a crazy fish story, we end up telling it for the rest of our lives. Well, you imagine how this miraculous story must have stuck with Pete. But here's the interesting thing. Just a few more minutes. Hang with me. The interesting thing is this. Actually, after Jesus' death and resurrection... It's not the miracle of the catching of the fish that Peter recounts for the people of God in his epistle, is it? But here's the thing that stuck with Peter from that day, the lesson that Jesus taught him through it, and that's this. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2, I believe, um, starting in verse 13. This is what Peter would write to the people of God. Excuse me. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who were sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by your doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. And then look at verse 16. Live as free men. That's what we're talking about, right? But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. (laughs) That's the message of this text, isn't it? We're to live as free men, but not use our freedom to cover up evil. But rather to live with a liberated conscience, free to give and to serve, and not worry about ourselves. God's going to take care of us. No, he may not give us all that we think we need or that we want, but he's got us. Don't worry about what you eat or what you drink or what you're going to wear, Jesus says. Stop. You're free. You can give it all away. You can, oh, well, I didn't lock my car. Oh, well. You know what I'm saying? We don't have to hold on to everything so tight. We can give it up. Can't outgive God. We often have a very skewed view of what freedom's all about, don't we? What it is about is it's about being free from sin's power, sin's dominance. It's about free from the penalty, being free to the penalty of sin, we no longer have to worry about being judged and condemned because Jesus was condemned in our place. And it's the liberty, listen to this, of being an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. You might not see it in this life. might not see it in your circumstances today, but someday you're going to reign. Believe me, I'm looking at you. It's hard for me to believe. No, I'm just saying. But really, you are. You're going to reign with Christ. That's what, that's what Paul says in Romans 8. We're heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ if we do suffer with Him. And giving up our freedom sometimes is suffering, isn't it? It's not freedom to be selfish, or self-serving. It's the freedom to love. It's the freedom to give. It's the freedom to serve and to help. Here's the point in this text. Help lead other, other people to God, not away from God. Through our bad example. It means we willingly lay down our rights not to give offense or to send the wrong message. So I want you to see this. Jesus paid the tax collected by those who turned his father's house into a den of thieves and who would soon unjustly hand him over to the Romans to be crucified. It's not a matter of what people deserve. And, and that there is a, a, a secondary application to our government as well. We pay taxes. Not because the government is just all the time. Not because they use the taxes always in a right and godly way. But we do it because we're conscious of God. And we do it as... Now, you didn't know that, did you? That's why I want to kind of close with a little bit. You didn't know that when we say the gospel changes everything, we mean the gospel changes everything. We mean that paying your taxes is just as much worship as singing worship the Lord here this Sunday morning. It sounds like such a mundane thing when we think, what did you do for the Lord last week? I paid my taxes. People are like, huh? But you don't understand. That's an area of our life that's a real life issue that everybody has to deal with, that we are doing joyfully and sometimes not so joyfully, but we learn to do it freely and joyfully. We do it under the Lord as an act of worship. Lord, this is hurting me because I look at my check. I'm thinking, oh, I'm supposed to get whatever, let's say 800 bucks. 500 bucks! The government took 300, you know, and we get into that. But look, we do it because we know and love Jesus. And it's our, we want to show people that Christians are not rebellious citizens we are the best of all citizens you cannot accuse us of being zealots in the old days where the zealots wanted let's kill rome jesus says that's not the way remember it was slaves that conquered rome who trusted jesus and who bled for him and continue to trust him even in some awful awful situations let this sink in brothers and sisters i'll close with this you are beloved free child of the living god through faith in christ your freedom thus is to be exercised in humility and service just like the only son of god did let's pray father we thank you for this brief text we thank you that it is here you've placed it right here in matthew's gospel for us this morning so that we also, among the rest of your people, could hear its message, message, take it to heart, and have every area of our lives conformed and transformed by your good news. Jesus, how we thank you that you willingly submitted even uh, to sinful men. You gave your life that you might redeem your people from their sins. Thank you for what you've done for us, Jesus. Thank you for your patience with us. And we pray, Lord, that through our time together in the Word, that You would work in our hearts, that we would give up our rights not out of a sense of mere duty, but joyfully. It's, it's our way of saying thank You for including us in Your family and giving us the rights of sons and daughters. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.